Monday night, and that means a brand new episode of Graphic Policy Radio, the show that mixes comics and politics. This is the show for folks that know some of the greatest heroes are immigrants. We've got a first-time guest joining us tonight, but before we uh, dive in and introduce her, I want to welcome my co-host, Alana. How are you doing? I'm great. Actually, she's a second-time guest. Is she? wants to talk about Jem before. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'm That's not, totally cool. Apparently, my um, research stuff. Hi. <laughs> it's okay. I'm Ilana. Um, I just want to make a request. You know, I know that tons of folks who don't normally go to protest are coming out now, and I love it. And when I was, uh, when I'm following along with all of the actions online, whenever I see someone who's dressed as Captain America, Superman, Wonder Woman, something from Star Wars, and you see folks bringing geekdom to their protesting, send me a picture. I'm on Twitter, E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. Tag me, send it my way. I love tracking that sort of thing. Um, you know, superheroes are really a shared language that we have in our culture for talking about heroic values and bringing that iconography to places where there is public outcry against abuse and brutality is really powerful. So um, I, keep, I keep doing it, guys, and also, like, send me the photos. I really want to compile and, and show folks how this is creeping in our how this is um, permeating our culture, and it's uh, I think it's a really powerful visual. So keep up keep up the work. Yeah, there's been some amazing stuff, and uh, and before we introduce our guests, I I kind of want to add on to that is to see the I think the reaction of the comic community has been uh, to say impressive would be an understatement. There's so many uh, creators that are stepping up. Uh, not just to speak out, but are also matching donation dollars or giving away art and uh, for donations being made to important organizations. Um, it's it's uh, uh, it gives me hope. I think would be the best way of putting it. Um, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. it's just absolutely amazing, and it's kind of that small flicker of positivity through what's been pretty shitty ten days. Uh, so yeah, the worst. Keep, yeah, keep it up. I think we all expected crap. I don't think any of us expected crap this quickly. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Well, shock, shock and awe, everyone. If there's anybody, yeah, if there's anybody out there who's like looking for, who has doing, you know, and we've mentioned this on the show before, but who's an artist who's looking for ways they can help contribute um, to the cause. Uh, again, reach out with us. I, I'm always talking with organizations and nonprofits that could use a hand with art and graphics and things like that. So we're happy to play matchmaker. If there's a particular issue you care about, whether it's immigration or LGBTQ rights or anything, like we know people who can use your help. So reach out. Yes. I'm happy to play matchmaker. We're people who know so, people. Um, we we have an awesome... People. We yeah. both kind of do this stuff for a living. <laughs> yeah. So. Yep. 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 And yep. Um, so... On a more positive note, let's actually have uh, some comic news and some fun times. Uh, we've got a guest tonight, Kelly Thompson. Um, she has written some awesome series, currently writing Hawkeye and, for Marvel and The Misfits for IDW. She's also written A-Force, Gem of the Holograms, Power, Pink, uh, Power Rangers, Pink, uh, Captain Marvel, and the Carol Corps, and just, well, all kinds of really kick-ass stuff. Uh, for those who don't know, this is... Uh, not the Hawkeye that you've seen in the films. This is Kate Bishop, who is uh, coming into her own in a solo series where she's really kicking butt, and it's awesome. 
three issues, uh, well, the third issue is out this coming Wednesday. Go get it. If you haven't read the first two, you are really missing out. Um, I think it really, for me, uh, I love previous runs of Hawkeye, the Matt Fraction, David, uh, I, I, I'll butcher his last name, Aha, Aja, whatever. Um, and this new series is, I think, for me, very reminiscent of that, which is the highest of highest accolades I could give to it because uh, those previous volumes are awesome, and Kate Bishop is a kick-ass character, so it's fantastic to see her um, front and center, and hopefully we see more. Uh, so welcome to the show, Kelly. How are you doing? Hi. Is the mic working? Yes. Yeah, you sound yes. good. Yay! It was touch and go there <laughs> for a minute. But uh, anyway, hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Thanks for coming us. on. You know, I, I really, I'm a big fan of Jam and, and Misfits, and, and really, we love this comic. Um, it felt so good to read it. Like, the first issue when it came out, I, I really described it as being a breath of fresh air. It was, it felt very necessary. Thank you. Uh, you know, I, it's funny, uh, you know, you write these things months and months and months in advance, and in the case of Kate, we've been planning it and trying to get it you know, to be a viable thing for even longer than usual with these things. Um, and so, you know, when you conceive of an arc and what it's going to be about and the themes and the actions and who the villains are going to be and what it's going to put your character through, you know, you hope that you've built it in a way that it's not going to be irrelevant by the time it comes around. And this was definitely a case of it feeling more and more relevant as, uh, as the story was coming out and things were happening in the world. So that happened a little bit with my star Wars issue too, um, which, you know, was really about revolution and hope and everything. And then rogue one came out and I'm like, wow, that's really in line with like the same sort of themes that from this thing I wrote this summer, you know? So it's always nice huh. when that when that yeah. comes together like that. Absolutely how long true. Is- I mean, and I also sorry, I was and I also felt like the story you told about um, female characters dealing with uh, st- online harassment and stalking, like you told that in a way that I don't think um, a guy who hasn't dealt with this himself could have possibly gotten it, no matter how many times he spoke to folks for, you know, guidance. Um, I don't know. I, I hate, I hate to, you know, pigeonhole people like great writers are great writers. And if they do the research and they do the work, I feel like they can get there, but it certainly was personal for me. It certainly was things I've been through and things that many, many women and people, but especially women I know have gone through. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it gave me a little crutch in, in, figuring out what that story was about and why it was important was, you know, certainly I and many of my contemporaries have been through similar things. So talk to us a little bit about um, your relationship to Kate Bishop, the Hawkeye character and how the series came, came to be for folks who might not really know where that's coming from. Kate is uh, getting this, book off the ground was a, a little bit unusual, I think, because, I mean, I had this pitch even before I started writing anything for Marvel. And I mean, I was working on this pitch when I was just starting Gem, and I was sort of trying to get my foot in the door at Marvel. Um, I had some contacts there. And so I sort of finally got the go ahead and signed the paperwork that lets you submit to them. And so I sent this in and I was talking to Janine Schaefer at the time and she really liked it. And so she sent it to Sana Amat. Uh, and I think that 
Sana really liked it. And I don't know for sure, but I suspect her liking the pitch and sort of seeing what I was doing on Gem was what helped get me to go ahead to co-write with Kelly Sue DeConnick on Captain Marvel and the Carol Corps. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's definitely, I think Marvel and DC especially like to sort of, you know, check a writer out, see how they can handle a co-write when they've got someone strong as a partner. Um, so I think that was a little bit of a test to see if I could handle it. And she liked what I did there. And so we continued talking about Kate. And in the meantime, A-Force sort of came along. I had actually pitched for something else that they'd asked me to pitch for, and I'd gotten that, and I was supposed to launch that book, and then it sort of fell apart, and they asked me to do A-Force right at the same time. So I started doing A-Force, and all the while, Kate was sort of just bubbling in the background. Um, And at the time, the pitch was called Hawkeye Investigations, which is the name of her uh, her business in in Hawkeye. And uh, it just so happened that by the time... They, everyone agreed that the time was right for Kate to have her own solo book. Uh, Clint wasn't using the Hawkeye book name. Uh, he had moved over to Occupy Avengers. And so they were like, you guys get to be Hawkeye. And we were pretty excited about it. So, um, you know, it's scary to like be walking in those shoes a little bit, but, you know, uh, I think that, you know, we're living in a time, especially with Marvel where you see a lot of, uh, legacy characters sort of getting tried out in different ways, Jane Foster, Thor, things like this. Um, Kate is a little, Kate and Clint are a little different because they've sort of shared the Hawkeye name for a long time and that's just what they do. Um, but it was still pretty fun to get to put Kate, you know, in the, in the headlining role. So. And I, I, you know, I, I'm not actually someone, I have not read much of uh, the original Hawkeye series. I know that's like the weirdest thing to say as someone who writes about comics. The, the Matt Fraction one? I know, yeah. Um, <laughs> so reading this, I definitely feel like, I love the fact that, and maybe this is me mischaracterizing the original series, but that like, you have a male character who doesn't have any complaint about the fact that the female character is using this name and he thinks it's great. And he said like, you know, go for it. And that's not a source of... Uh, Yeah, no, they have kind of a great thing where, you know, Kate sort of took on the name, and this goes back to before that that Matt Fraction series that I think you're talking about. That goes Mm -hmm. back to some Young Avengers stuff when Kate Kate Bishop first came on the scene, and at the time, Hawkeye was dead, as, as, as these superheroes sometimes do. And uh, so (laughs) she ended up sort of being, taking the name slash being given the name by Captain America, and she sort of earned it. And then Clint came back and she sort of had to give it up and she fought it a little bit, but she tried to let it go. And then he's like, nah, and he gave her the bow and he's like, we can both be Hawkeye. And sort of, I think the first series though, that really embraced that as them both being Hawkeyes and them having an ongoing relationship and a mentorship and a friendship was Matt Fraction, uh, David Aja and, uh, and Annie Wu's uh, uh, and, Matt Hollingsworth's run on uh, on Hawkeye, which if you like what mm-hmm. we're doing with Kate, you really should read it because it's very, very good comics. I, I hesitate to send people to it because, you know, you really don't want to be compared with that run. You, can, you can't outdo things that they were doing there. So, uh, But we take a lot of our cues from that and then sort of try to do our own thing, uh, especially if you like what we're doing. I mean, the Kate Bishop stuff in there is really great. 
so with which is drawn by Annie Wu. So I actually think I like the I've read both and I've read everything, and I actually think yours is like an it's amazing extension of it. Like if you like the the fraction stuff, I think you'd love this too. I mean, it seems like a seamless continuation in the style and the storytelling, and you know, there's maybe subtle differences, but like I'm not joking when I say. It. Like I hold it up there with that original run. I just think they're they're both really really good so far. And I mean I've read the third issue, and um, it's like the series is just it's blowing me away. With I mean you're continuing that humor, um, the the pacing feels very similar. Uh, I mean did you did you take like influence from that at all when when kind of coming up with your run? Listen, I mean, first of all, I'm just blushing like crazy over here. That's like the <laughs> nicest, nicest possible thing you could say. Thank you so much. And yeah, it's completely, <laughs> it's completely inspired by and, and trying to reference. I mean, the only, the only thing is I, I, we don't want to be derivative of what they were doing. We want to be able to do our own thing a little bit, but absolutely. I mean, I think what, what Matt Fraction and his whole team did on Hawkeye was some of the best comics I've ever read. And um, one of my favorite things about that run is the way he deals with Kate. To me, the Kate Bishop centered issues um, are they're they're somehow completely tonally in sync with everything he's doing. My interpretation is, and I have not talked to Matt Fraction or anyone about this. So, I could be completely wrong, but my interpretation is that Kate is a little different in that series, depending on if you're in her POV or not. She's really sort of polished and together and still sassy and sarcastic and everything, but she's really sort of perfect in the David Aja drawn issues. Uh, And I think that's because that's how Clint sees her. And then when you get her on her own in LA, that's more of how she sees herself. Uh, And that's why she's a little more scattered and messy and a little bit more like Clint, to be honest, in those. And so we're doing a little bit more that because we're in Kate's POV. So she's a little bit messier. She's a little bit not as together. She's also had a lot of things happen to her uh, since that run, including losing the support of her father and, you know, sort of no longer getting to be this socialite uh, as a, as a side job. So, um, you know, that's absolutely what we're trying to do. Um, and you just hope you can come as close to it as you can with, with, while also sort of doing your own thing. Uh, I think I'm extremely fortunate in that I have an incredible team. Uh, you know, Leonardo Romero, so many reviews have said this, and I think they're so on point that he's doing sort of a clean, simple style that is a little David Aja, but it's really his mm-hmm. own thing. And it, it really brings his own element to it. And he's, he's one of those artists that can handle the superhero stuff, but really can handle the street level detective stuff as well, which not every artist is capable of doing or wants to do. And he's really excelling at that. And then Jordi Belair is bringing this incredible, I mean, you know, when you're explaining to Jordi, like, Oh, well uh, we want to, keep it modern and young and it's in Venice beach, but uh, we also want to continue referencing like old Hollywood noir and detective stuff, you know? And she's like, okay, no problem. So Miami vice meets, you know, Hollywood noir. And like, she just gets it. It's a, what she does really is incredible. Mm-hmm. 
It's incredible well, stuff. is the perfect description, and, and, <laughs> and those are genres that I really enjoy. Yeah, yeah, I thought the art on this was wonderful, and I'm sorry we weren't able to coordinate with her as well. Um, international uh, travel and whatnot can make that a bit harder. But one of the effects that I really love, which perhaps stems from the writing here, is that I, you guys like do a great job of showing Hawkeye's, Archer's view of the world. Um, and how she is constantly evaluating her environment, which is also something I think a lot of women do for their own personal safety when they're out and about in general, but how like she's looking at her environment and analyzing it and figures out how to move her way around it, and you kind of get a lens into that. Um, I wasn't, I'm imagining this one that's coming from the writing and not just the way the art is conveying it, though. Yeah, no, it's very specifically called out in the script, but I do have to give props to uh, Sana here because that was very much her idea. I mean, not the final analysis of how I figured out to do it and everything, but, you know, when we were talking about the way Kate sees the world and, you know, what are her strengths as a superhero, as a Hawkeye, what are her strengths as a detective, what are her weaknesses and these things and how do they overlap? You know, we were having all these really great conversations about that stuff. Like I said, we spent a lot of time, working on this and I, I feel like that shows in the sort of very clear vision we set out from issue one of what we're trying to do and how it looks and how it all fits together like a puzzle piece. And so, um, but she was the one I think who said in one of our email exchanges or maybe one of our phone calls where she's like, I wonder if Kate should see it differently. Like she's got something with her vision. And I was like, Oh my God. I was like, that's so good. I was like, I wish you hadn't said that because I wanted to come up with that on my own, like I'm some kind of genius, mm-hmm. but you definitely said it. And so then I came up with these ideas for these ways that we could visualize it. And then we sort of handed it off to Leo for like, let's see what it looks like. And then it was, let's hand it off to Jordy and see what she wants to do with the colors. And everyone brought just their A game with this idea. And so, yeah, I mean, I detail it out very specifically in the script, but it was this wonderfully collaborative thing coming up with how that, what that looks like. And it's very important to Kate, I think, because it does speak, you know, it speaks a thousand words every time you see it about how she thinks, how she sees the world and how her strengths and weaknesses inform what kind of detective she is, what kind of superhero she is and what kind of person she is, you know? Mhm. Yeah, definitely. I think with the uh, you all. Sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I'll do my question next. Um, working on the title, I definitely like you do a great job of characterizing her in in terms of her internal dialogue and her humor, really really coming through in that. And that's definitely something that I've you know you write some really funny stuff. It's like within the realm of human interaction driven humor as opposed to like slapstick or absurdist stuff generally. Um, <laughs> but do you have a way that you like work on sort of polishing the humor beats because you're, you're doing that and you, you don't know how it's going to look until the artist has actually drawn it. And like, how do you even check to see how that's going to land in advance before the art even in? Um, I think that, you know, again, I've got a really great team around me. And so there's a lot of help in making sure we get it right. Um, there's definitely, I tend to, and I'm sure any critics of my writing would agree, I I definitely tend to overwrite. I think that's a rookie mistake. Like, you know, especially as a, I think that happens to a lot of writers, but especially in comics, you know, 
you're not in control of those other pieces. And so you feel like your only control is this writing thing you're doing. And so you tend to do it. So the more I trust my team and the more I trust the vision of the book, the easier it is for me to pare back. Um, There's definitely a kill your darlings problem with Hawkeye where I want all the jokes uh, because I find Kate hilarious. I don't find myself particularly funny, but I find Kate hilarious. So, um, you know, sometimes we have to lose stuff to make sure that other stuff that's more important works. I think I said to Charles and Sana the other day, like, I know you guys know I want to just tell 50 jokes, but we probably need to get some detective case information through in this scene, you know. (laughs) Um, So, but for me as a writer, um, coming down to like jokes landing or Kate being funny, I mean, that's honestly just, that kind of stuff comes very naturally to me as long as I've built the character correctly. Um, if I've, if I've built the character correctly and I really understand them and who they are, then I can slip pretty easily into the things they say and don't say in these scenarios and how they look at the world. And, uh, as far as, you know, making sure it all lands, uh, you know, just that some of that's just the comics process. Like, um, you know, you get an editing pass, you get a lettering pass where you, you see, probably not the finished art because comics is always a scramble for some reason to get to deadline. So you're probably looking maybe at black and white uh, artwork that's got the, uh, and, and you go back through the script and you can see, Oh wait, I've got way too much text for this, that, or the other. And so, you know, you pair it back and make it work. And then you get another pass at it when your letterer with Joseph Eno's great. Um, once he's put everything in, then you go back in. And, and so do Sana and Charles, by the way, as editors, they're like, you got to lose this. This isn't working, you know, and you move that stuff around a little bit. But if you've done your job well enough, hopefully those aren't too intensive of passes, you know. For the for the story itself, the, the three issues are kind of dealing with this MRA-ish uh, cult combination uh, obviously very uh, kind of in the news. It's a big thing, not just in comics, but as a whole. How long have you been working on it that, you know, that, I mean, unfortunately still relevant uh, <laughs> out there? Um, I think we figured out that it was about two years since I first submitted the pitch around, I mean, it was more than two years since I first submitted the pitch to Marvel when we came out in December. Um, it was a little less than two years, I think, since Sonic saw the first pitch. There was, I think from the very beginning, there was always a story that was going to be about this. Uh, over time, we, as we were figuring out what it meant for Kate, whether she was going to be in New York or LA. Ultimately, like there was a version of the pitch where she was in New York. Um, like that was probably the original version of the pitch was actually that she was in New York because I didn't know if they would want her to go back to Los Angeles or not. Um, so uh, we we were shaping what should be the first story, what's the second story, these things, and this one always kept coming to the forefront as one we were all really interested in, one we thought had a lot of potential. Um, and one that was going to fit in with sort of the larger pieces we were moving around in the board um, for for larger stories, for Kate that were less focused on, you know, a case she's solving that isn't personal or something. It's actually, it's really depressing that it's been two years and it's still relevant. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I mean, I, you know, it's always going to be relevant. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry to say. I mean, you know, unless we end up in the sure. Trumpocalypse and the internet doesn't exist anymore, and then <laughs> I won't have any friends because all my friends are internet friends. But you know, whatever. Well, well if his FCC oh. statement has anything to do with it, <laughs> yeah. that will happen. <laughs> Um, are, were you nervous at all doing it? Like, I got to imagine putting that out there, like with the, you know, there's got to be backlash and you're dealing with some of those assholes. Um, um, I mean, was that kind of on your mind at all? Um, not really. I mean, in my experience, they'll come after you no matter what. So you might as well tell a story that you think is relevant and that means a lot and that might help people and be something you believe in. Um, to be honest and, depending on who's listening to this, I might be in for a whole new round of harassment, but I've actually gotten way less harassment since I started writing fiction uh, than I have uh, when I was a critic, when I was doing weekly and biweekly columns that had a feminist bent and were about comics. Uh, That really brought the boys to the yard for whatever reason. Um, (laughs) So I don't know. It's been less me lately I don't know if I'm just on line in sort of a different way or maybe they just hate what I'm doing so much that they just don't bother reading it I, I don't know I don't know I, I it's delightful though <laughs> so let's hope it continues <laughs> knocking on wood for you yeah I mean right I, I, I saw some people being jerks like oh, Hawkeye's a girl now, which, of course, is the biggest proof you could ever have that a guy is a fake fan if he's unaware <laughs> that Hawkeye is, in fact, a girl now. Yeah, uh, that, was, that was pretty great. There was some guy who's like, I'm the biggest Clint, Clint uh, Barton fan ever. Who's Kate Bishop? And someone was like, then you're not a Clint Barton fan if you don't even know who Kate Bishop is. She's been around with him forever now. Like the most critically acclaimed <laughs> famous comic book he's ever been in, she was a co-star in like the whole thing. You can't be the biggest Clint Barton fan. Come on. True. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. No argument on that. That's like the mic drop and you walk away. <laughs> yeah. 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 With the. Um, and the other thought I have about it is just, like, I think one of the things that I thought, without giving away too much of the details, I think that, like, what your comic does well that I don't know if I've seen quite get captured this way in some of the other art that's touched on the subject is that, you know, like, these these guys come into these MRA programs because they're feeling lost and they don't know like, what to do. And it's a radical, they are essentially going through a process a process of radicalization uh, in the wrong direction um, that says like, okay, your your life is effed up and actually women are the problem and we're going to teach you essentially how to combat them. Mm -hmm. Um, And people are always talking about like, oh, like how did this, you know, Muslims are getting radicalized to become terrorists and they don't actually talk about how huge chunks of the male internet culture are like serving to radicalize men towards, I mean, even though the culture we exist in hates women plenty, like, it serves, these, these forms can, like, they radicalize men to hate women in a more, in, in an even more brutal way than, like, the default system of our world. <laughs> I, I got the vibe that it was, like, a pickup artist thing. Like, I really got this pickup yeah, artist yeah, pick thing artist. that was out that, there. That, that yeah. is what I'm talking about. Those, those oh, pickup okay. artist things, like, the, the pickup artist uh, network has fed these guys into stuff like the uh, the puppies, the uh, sad puppies. What was it? You know, um, 
the sick puppies group and stuff like that. Exactly. It's like a, you know, guys like, how can I talk to girls? I'm shy. And next thing you know, he's in the pickup artist forum. And then the next thing from there, he's in sick puppies, like actively harassing women. And like the next thing you know, he's voting for Trump. It's like a sequence. You know what I mean? It's part yeah. of the yeah. process. And then a well, and I think it's, you know, I think there's a, um, I think there's an echo chamber thing that, you know, people who are, pretty self-aware um are aware that they live like i live in a echo chamber absolutely you know i am extremely liberal i go out of my way to live in a liberal place um because i'm lucky enough to have that choice um you know i have (laughs) i have like-minded friends i try not to you know put toxic people in my life so i live in a complete echo chamber but i'm self-aware enough to know that that's not reality um that there's a whole bunch of stuff that isn't my echo chamber out there and i try to seek it out on the regular to keep myself informed to keep myself sort of growing and intelligent and you know learning and seeing and and absorbing i mean you know just the other day a friend of mine we were talking about something related to the protest and i said melting pot and she's like you know you shouldn't use that word and I was like, or that phrase. And I was like, what? I was like, all right. So I, I didn't even ask her. I just looked it up. Like, what's the deal with melting pot? And sure enough, it's a thing about, it implies other cultures are conforming, you know, to the, to the pre-existing standard. And that's not a great thing. And I thought, oh, interesting. Okay. Now I know that that's cool. Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, but it, it, it's, it's just a reminder that you need to always keep absorbing these new things that weren't always necessarily there for you. And uh, to me, the pickup artist thing, the MRA thing, it's all very echo chambery with no self-awareness. There's no, Mm. you know, I mean, to, to, I don't know if this is going to surprise anyone, but I mean, I think a lot of MRA people, a lot of pickup artist people, they're mostly the same people, but you know, a lot of them get there through, cruelty right they feel they've been treated cruelly in their life people have been unkind to them uh and so they feel very justified in how they think about these things how they want to react to these things and then they find all these like-minded individuals that that have had the same experiences that all just reinforce this stuff right but they never step outside it feels like to see the other stuff right like Oh wait, why were why was women X, Y, and Z cruel to me? Was it because something happened to her, you know, or is it because she's afraid mm-hmm. of her life and that's why she rejected me and that's why she was so mean to me? Is it because, you know, she doesn't owe me anything? Like, is it because of all these other mm-hmm. things, right? But but there's this lack of stepping outside of that circle. And again, I don't have a problem with the echo chamber in the sense that why should you make your life miserable, right? Like dealing with toxic, horrible people. There's no reason you have to do that. But there's a self-awareness that's required, I think, in order to be an intelligent citizen of the world. And that involves stepping outside of that sometimes and examining what these things are that brought you there, why you're there what other people's motivations are, et cetera. And so this is really far off of Hawkeye now, but I just, I just think that's where some of that stuff comes from is people's lack of, you know, ironically, this goes very much back to the stuff I used to write about on She Has No Head, 
which uh, the, if I said there was one thing to sum up all of She Has No Head, it was context is king, which is that you can get away mm-hmm. with a lot of things in a lot of ways, depending on what your context is. And pickup artist guys are forgetting to look at any context to me. Uh, they're forgetting, they're only focused on themselves and their pain and how that needs to be fixed instead of larger world things of like, hey, what are all the dominoes that fell before that girl was mean to me that led me to this thing? Like what, maybe I should examine how the patriarchy beat her down into the position where she was rude to me that day or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just think examining the larger map is something that people miss over and over again. And it's a little bit something that we're exploring with Hawkeye. Um, You know, it's not a story about Larry ultimately. Um, And maybe that's part of the point. Um, Yeah. Both, both both his point and everyone else's point, you know, that's part of his problem is it's not about him. And why isn't it about him? And the answer is much like Westworld. This isn't your story, dude. Like not every story is your story. Like it's just the way it is, you know? And, and many people have been dealing with that for a very long time. That's totally perfect. I'm, I'm really glad you're here to talk about that. I definitely accept that. I see it all in the story. It's it got a little text. unwieldy there, but monologue. No, not at all. Awesome. I'm telling you, this is perfect. This is because this is all in the story. You know what I mean? This isn't like, like guys, if you're listening to this and you're thinking like, yes, these are things I'm thinking about. I'm saying like, you need to read Hawkeye. This this comic is about that. Um, and I guess we want to follow up on something in, in issue two. Like we have a there's a great. I don't want to give away, but like you have an Hawkeye has an interaction with a guy who is coming from a very different standpoint than Larry who sort of shows like a different way for guys to be in these situations um, and it was cool to sort of have this you know I'm not sure I, can, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a recurring character later but I don't know um, to have another, was this like, Johnny, Johnny in the alley scene from issue 2 is that what we're talking yeah. about yeah 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 he'll be he'll be around mm-hmm. there will be a like, big there will be a big clue to how much he's going to be around in issue three, which it sounds like one of you have read. I, I read it. <laughs> what? You said we didn't have issue three. I sent it to you. I sent it to you. <laughs> no, I have not know you saying we don't have issue three yet. Okay. I, I forgive you, you. We got it this weekend. Aren't, aren't, aren't Jordy Belair's like, colors in issue three, like, ridiculous? That party scene is so good. And then the yeah. dungeon scene, like I'm giving things away now, but I just, <laughs> she just, she just takes a whole visual journey. Like you don't even need my stupid words. Like she just tells it all in color. It's amazing. Anyway. Well, that's part of the, one of the things that I love about the art and the consistency of the, like the fractionary air to this is like in the fractionary, they, they put a lot of like small little jokes in um, of things that were being noticed. And you're continuing that in a different way with what Kate notices as she walks into places. And a lot of it's, you know, there's humor to it. Like in issue three, there's in the party scene, there's uh, one of the first three or two of the first three things that she notices are, are really funny. Um, and that's the part of it. What I really like about the series is that like 
if you didn't tell me who was creating it, I would have I would have honestly thought this was the same team as before in the look and the style. Like it's it really is that seamless to me, and I think that's that's awesome that you're continuing it. Um, like it's oh, just, thank you so much. It's fun. Like it's to me like those small details in comics. I love it. Like I, that was one of the things I loved about Unstoppable Wasp, the first issue, is that it had that like call out moments to it that were small little details that just mm-hmm. add so much uh, like mm-hmm. flavor and richness to the storytelling. One of probably one of my favorite things that's happened that I have nothing to do with, by the way, but is just Leo being a hilarious genius is in issue three that scene where she walks in on that guy with the newspaper and the iconic (laughs) Hawkeye head, which to me is the most direct but indirect, like wink and a nod to the classic Hawkeye covering up Clint's junk in issue three of the Fractionaja run. Like, Mm -hmm. like it's such a weird way to bring it in and do it. I I loved it. He drew that. I was like, this is amazing. I was like, I don't know if you did this on purpose, but you should tell me you did because you're a genius. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That entire scene was, it's great. It's really, really funny. Like I can't break that series enough. (laughs) That's one of my favorite comics of all time. That one, that issue. Um, Yeah. That is so amazing. Um, well, anyway, so good. One of the oh, sorry, one of the other pieces that I really noticed about this is um, you have it's definitely a, a trend I found is Mar- some of the Marvel comics with female characters that I really like that are kind of aimed at like they're female characters who are aimed at like a teen and up audience like this one uh, as opposed to the ones that are a little bit more all all agesy. Is you have these uh, the, the the opening page title page with, like, a really funny little dossier of what's happened. In this case, this guy's as a case file back during the Mockingbird series from Chelsea Kane, and it was like they had it as um, her medical file. Um, I was, and I thought that these were such a funny added layer of, like, text and reminders of what's going on and, and sort of keeping jokes running and highlighting pieces, and I wasn't sure if that was something that you guys had come up with or... Um, it's really, be. really credit due uh, for that to um, Charles Beecham, Sana, and uh, and Manny Medeiros, who does the um, a lot of the graphics stuff uh, in house for Marvel, or maybe he's freelance. I guess I don't know. Um, they, because uh, I didn't know what they were planning to do. Um, we hadn't really talked about it that much. I had been really focused on other stuff. You know, part of me wanted it to sort of be before I'd thought of anything for it or we'd really talked about it. I thought, oh, I'd like just something really simple, like what the the Mad Fraction Hawkeye had. Like, you know, let's keep it continuity light. Like, hey, this is this is Kate Bishop being a Hawkeye and being a PI. Here, you, That's all you need to know or whatever. Um, but they were like, oh, yeah, we're thinking of doing this thing. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so good. So I gave them some ideas for content stuff. And they put up like sort of a first draft they pulled together of what they wanted to do and what it would look like. And I gave them some notes and stuff, but that was very much them. And they've really been doing like two and three. I, the first time I saw those was when I, when I saw the issue. So they really are really, they've taken the lead on sort of just taking the stuff that's great in the issue and applying it to the, uh, 
to the to the contents page and it's really fun it, and honestly like it's almost like getting a whole other page of story really because it's really mm-hmm. cool looking and there's a lot of little sort of easter eggs and fun stuff that's great mhm yeah the uh I with the series um, sorry what was it? so with the, the series there's this ongoing joke about her getting her pi license yeah have you actually looked up what the hell you have to do to get a PI license in California? Yeah. It's like crazy. It's, it's pretty involved. It's pretty involved, <laughs> especially because, you know, there's all this stuff, but the biggest issue is, and in why we ended up making it sort of a plot point is because you have to have X number of hours yeah. working yep. and not working as a PI, but working in like that kind of capacity. Like you can work for another licensed PI doing something and things like that. So, um, you know, she can't even have the license yet, really. Um, you know, maybe if she combines her hours from being in LA before and she could show proof of that, plus this new case, like maybe she'll have enough to like sort of qualify. And if she has Jessica Jones and other superheroes vouching for her, like maybe she can get through the process. But like, that was part of the reason to like keep bringing it up. And, you know, because we talked about it, like it's, it's actually like a legal thing. Like she would be in trouble, you know, if someone decided to prosecute her for this, like, it's not, it's not cool. You're not supposed to do it. And it's sort of an ongoing thing with Rivera, even in issue four, it's going to come up. Um, it's going to come up in issue five too, because just issues five and six, uh, are guest starring Jessica Jones, who is a licensed PI. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm still finishing issue six, but, um, issue five, you know, man, writing Jessica Jones is such a daunting thing. And like finding what's similar about she and Kate in their voices and also finding what's really different and like contrasting them against each other was really like, I was worried about it, but it ended up being so fun. Like they're just sort of magic together on the page. I love it. I can't wait to read that. That sounds awesome. (laughs) Are we going to get to have any appearances from Ms. America crossing over here? Well, I would love to have America and she was originally supposed to, to come into the book for at least a one or two issue arc, but um, you know, she's got her own book. And, you know, they don't want to step on those toes. So we're Mm -hmm. trying to give her a little breathing room, you know, to like do Mm -hmm. her own thing. We don't want to try and drag her into something over. And I mean, you know, some of that stuff is a little like, oh, you know, Captain Marvel's in 50 books. Why can't America be in 50 books? You know, so I I don't (laughs) like to take that stuff too seriously. But the feeling generally was like, give give America her room to breathe. Um, They're best friends. They want to show up. We definitely have mentions about her, like to keep her sort of in Kate's mind and everything. I'm still hoping it's going to happen. Um, but where we had wanted to put it, we ended up having to move it because it was going to hit right as America's book was sort of launching and everything. And we didn't want to kind of get in the way of them. So. Mm, understood. Go, yeah. Go comics. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Although it's one of the, this is sort of an art note, really, but one of the things, I mean, almost entirely, but one of the things the comic does well, though, is you've got three female characters with black hair, long, longish, straight black hair. I can always tell who's who, even though none of them have outlandish clothing, you know? Yes, that is all on uh, Jordy and Leo. I mean, they're just great, and uh, and uh, it's awesome. <laughs> And I love that we got some real diversity in there. Um, you know, yeah. it's like 
it's only the supporting cast, but that's really all I can do anyway. And I love them. So I hope other people will come to love them too. And, you know, I get that as readers, it's hard to attach to supporting casts that tend to get wiped away once a character moves on to something else. But I'm really in love with these characters we created and I hope other people will feel the same way. Um, you know, Rivera, Mika, Ramon, uh, Kate, I don't know. It's just yeah, it feels great. Like so much great stuff. Yeah. I love Ramon. She's the best. With the with the characters themselves, like the, the great segue to the question I, I've got is, I mean, all of them are new. Like I, I can't think of any seeing these characters ever before. Um, you know, what's it go about like expanding the cast and and creating new characters and kind of uh, of creating this this whole new world for Kate to be in. I mean, it was a big part of the the conceptual stage. Um, you know, I thought about bringing back um, the the David Aja character or um, the the Annie Wu and Matt Fraction characters. You know, they were so great. Her neighbors that got married, um, Finch and I'm blanking on the other guy's name now, Marcus, Marcus. Um, and I I wanted to bring them back, but what we were doing felt so much younger than that. Um, you know, where she was, what she was sort of trying to do. And I didn't want her, I also wanted her to have not the pre-existing emotional ties. I mean, I'm hoping those characters Mm -hmm. are going to guest star when she has two minutes to sit down and like have dinner with them. Like I want them to still be in her life, but it was important to show at this point in Kate's time that she's really unanchored and that that's not what she wants and that she's trying to change that, but that she doesn't have anyone but herself sort of to rely on here. And so because of that and because of the really young feeling of the book, I felt like she sort of needed some new cast members. And I also, to be honest, I wanted to skew it a lot more female. Um, I like Marcus and Finch very much. And I also thought Detective Cottle is amazing, but I thought it was an opportunity to, you know, I'm giving her some love interests here, but I'm also giving her these really great female friends and a sort of adversary in Rivera. Um, so, you know, fem- women of color, I really wanted to get them in there in a, in a relevant way that would mean something in Kate's life. And I, I feel really good about how, how we're doing with that. Nice. Yeah. I think that all, that all feels like I, I feel it in the comic and it's definitely been fun to, fun to get involved with them. I Thanks. actually have to, I, I did not know that you did a Star Wars issue. And now that I know, I'm like literally as soon as I'm over this podcast, if I can restrain <laughs> myself from checking my work email, which is really hard for me right now, I will immediately <laughs> read the Star Wars issue because that just sounds so great. Um, yeah. So I'm excited about that. It's pretty awesome. I mean, it's a little bit extra sad um, considering Carrie Fisher passing, which is just, ah, it's just a total gutting, horrible thing. But I felt very lucky to have gotten to write, you know, Princess Leia in a, in a great story and to give her a sort of um, begrudging BFF who also happens to be a giant woman who likes to hit people with bricks. Uh, so, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Amelia Lazio, uh, drew her with the hugest arms you've ever seen. She's just yes. a brick house. It's amazing. 
and I got to create that character for Star Wars. Like, someone tells you you get to write a Star Wars, you get to create a Star Wars canon character, and you're like, yes! And then you're like, what will you do? And I'm like, I will obviously create a giant woman named Pash who likes to hit people with bricks, because that is what I'm here for in life. Oh, my God. Okay, so I love you so much right now. Can I just say a couple of side <laughs> points to this? So our critic, one of our critics for our site, Logan Dalton, I, he reviewed your issue. He gave it a 9 out of 10, so obviously he really liked it. And now it's all coming back to me because I remember when he reviewed the issue, he, like, messaged me an image of that character, Tash, and said, you are really going to like this character in the new Star Wars book because she's ripped. And I like, was like, yes, obviously. And then, you know, the world kind of went to shit between then and now, so I haven't been keeping my head quite on stuff. Really, so really did. And I'm, yeah. I know. And I'm so, I'm so not in any way surprised that the character that Logan was like, you're going to be really into this <laughs> by you. So. Um, they, let me just tell you, I got more Tumblr followers from people discovering Pash and realizing that I helped create her, that, that I created her with Emilio, uh, than any other thing I've ever done. Like, you know, I'm not very good at Tumblr. It's, it continues to elude me. Maybe I'm slightly over the age requirement. I don't know what the hell it is, but <laughs> I can't, I'm not very good at it. And I keep trying like a good old soldier, but I can't really get it. And, uh, when I when people discovered Pash and were associating her with me, I finally started getting like, oh, new follower, new follower, new follower. And you'd actually get that email <laughs> where they're like, you have 20 new Tumblr followers. And I'm like, yes, I've graduated to the group, the group email of you've got this many followers. So it was pretty nice. <laughs> so, Tumblr is a fan, in other words. And Logan yeah, apparently definitely. is listening because he just said that the Star Wars annual is so good with multiple exclamation points. So. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It was pretty awesome to get to write her, uh, to get to write Princess Leia. And, and I squeezed everyone in there because, you know, if you're only going to get one shot, you know, you don't know if it's ever coming again. So you better, like, make it happen. Did you, like, completely freak out when you found out you were going to write Star Wars? I was really excited. I mean, honestly, it was it was such a fast turnaround time that I had to do that it sort of protected me a little bit because I didn't really have time to get too excited because there was so much pressure to turn it around fast. And even to get the pitches in, I felt like I had to, I'd read a lot of the star Wars comics, but I had to felt like I had to go back and reread everything I'd read plus read the stuff I hadn't read because I didn't want to, I didn't want to screw up the pitch by pitching something they'd already been doing like, Oh yeah, that's great. But we did that in Darth Vader or whatever. So I was like, I think I read like something like, it was something like I read or reread something like 800 pages of Star Wars comics over a weekend in order to get a pitch in. Is. Yeah, in order <laughs> to get a pitch in. So it was crazy. So uh, it was one of those things where I, the more I thought about it later, I was like, this is incredible. I can't believe that happened. But during the thing, it was such a rush that I, uh, that I didn't really have time to freak out. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I I, I, uh, I hope we'll get to see some additional Star Wars work from you perhaps in the future. Um, I would love that. And, I hope so. And now we had you on last year talking about Gem and the Holograms comic, which you launched, which was super exciting and like one of my favorite properties since I was a kid, much like Star Wars was. Um, and now you're doing a Misfits-centered title. The Misfits, for those who don't know, their songs are better. And um, <laughs> they are the antagonists for the Gem and the Holograms 
pop rock group. Uh, now they have their own series. And um, have you, like, been feeling like you're exercising a different kind of tone when writing them than you were able to do on the yeah, gem Ms. book? Or how has it been like doing it? Misfits is actually a really different book than Gem. I mean, it has a lot of the same sort of keystones that, that hold it together, you know, focus on music, focus on sort of sisterhood, although a slightly different brand of sisterhood. Um, but we're doing like a very specific different thing where the, the this five issue arc, each one focuses on a different misfit. And it's sort of deals with their current storyline where they're sort of forced, they've lost their label and they're forced into this reality TV show situation that none of them want to do and how that's bringing up things that are going on in their lives now that it's putting pressure on them. And then we sort of see flashbacks of like how they came to be of them and their youth, how they got together, things like that. So it's a very different model than gem. And I love it. Um, Not to, not to diss on gem, but it's a really fun to sort of do something a little different. And uh, the stormer issue this week is, it's one of the most personal things I've written. I mean, you know, one of the things about um, gem that's wonderful is that the gem characters sort of live in, and this goes back to echo chambers a little bit, you know, they live in what feels like an incredibly positive, inclusive Uh, forward-thinking environment like nobody gets mad at anyone for being too fat or too thin or too tall or the wrong gender the wrong race the wrong you know sexual preference like they're they're just very supportive of each other even the misfits who are very contentious characters they're incredible they're perfectly accepting of one another like there's no there's none of that stuff so it's almost like they live in this weird utopia but what Misfits explores, I think, more is the idea that they've created that environment for themselves, and that's what we've showed you. Like, they don't keep toxic people in their lives, but that doesn't mean the world is this good place. And so um, the Misfits, you see a lot more of that sort of backing up on them and, like, how they deal with that stuff. In the case of Stormer, it's a little, very little bit about her being gay, but it's mostly about her being fat and that not being okay and how that's, you know, according to the world and how that's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's been a problem for her that she's she's had to deal with her whole life. And it's sort of coming to a head now as she's on the verge of becoming, you know, losing all sense of privacy and becoming super, super famous by being part of a reality television show. So, uh, it's a really painful issue, to be honest. Like, I don't know that everyone's going to love it, um, but I feel like it's really honest, and I feel like it comes from a really good place, and it's ultimately got a very good message, and so I hope people will come away feeling better, even if it hurts to get there. Does that make sense? I mean, having not read it yet, I'm, I'm guessing it's sort of delicate because everybody's personal experience of those kinds of situations is very different. And, like, whether or not your way of managing it is similar to how they manage it themselves could have a very different emotional reaction to it. I think it's that, but I think it's – I mean, it can certainly be that, and we'll see. I mean, as usual with these kind of things, you prepare yourself for what you think the problem is going to be, and then nine times out of ten, it's a thing you couldn't even see, Right. That, that people have the problem with. So we'll, we'll see. We did vet it a little bit. We had some readers for it who, who 
who gave us some, you know, feedback, positive and negative, and we made some changes and things. But, um, <clears throat> and certainly it's a personal issue for me as a fat person, but um, who does deals with some tiny fraction of fame. Um, but I think more the issue that I fear is that it's gem has just, it's been such a haven for people, you know, um, it's happy. It's full of joy. It's full of inclusion. Uh, you, you can go to it and it sort of feels like a safe space. Not that it doesn't have any conflict, but it's safe. And this issue of misfits is not safe. It's, it's, it's very hurtful probably for a lot of people, but I hope it's ultimately really empowering uh, and that it's honest about some things and about, and shows a lot about who Stormer is as a character. So, I mean, I don't know. Mm -hmm. We'll find out on Wednesday. I'm, I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm sort of glad I have a lot of issues coming out this week. So even if there's problems with that, it won't just be that noise, but we'll find out. And, and it doesn't really stop issue four. I don't think it's the same potentially controversial, but it's definitely heartrending. It's not, you know, Oh yeah. The world is puppies and ice cream. You know, it's not that kind of a series. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the sensitivity and like doing the homework and, and that you have a personal connection to it. And I'm really looking forward to checking it out. Yeah. I hope you like so. it. Let me know. Let me know. I'll, uh, I'll send you the, the copies when we get off. Um, Oh, I had you on my email list, but I guess not. So I oh, will. No, uh, we, we 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 do get. I, we're not on your list, but we do get stuff from your publisher. <laughs> okay, well, I good. That's good. That's every good. day That's this good. weekend at a protest that had not been planned. <laughs> without more than a handful of hours notice, it's been a little intense. The it's the new um, world order. It's a protesting but we are not on job. your email list, so we would definitely love to be on that as well. Well, I will um, add. That's you. great. Yeah. IDW does a good job of like talking to to critics and making sure that we know what's coming out and promoting it and all that. Yeah, they're pretty good. I wish I wish I could have more flexibility with Marvel. Um, I haven't even really talked to anyone about it. I just know from my days as a critic, like Marvel doesn't really share PDFs, and so I feel like I have to be very careful about sharing PDFs too. And um, so they're you know they've got a really tight grip on them, and so I just feel like I'm not able to do the same sort of grassroots campaigning for Hawkeye that I do for some of my other books where I feel like the publisher is like, well, you know, if you can get a review, go get it. So it's a little hard. I mean, you know, you assume Hawkeye has a bigger engine behind it, but you know, you never really know with these stuff. Books get canceled all the time. So I, I would go talk to them. They, they have lightened up <laughs> in that department. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll yeah. put it on my list. then. <laughs> Let's see. I have a copy. Let's go with that. <laughs> yeah, you did get one, so it must it must not be that bad. Yeah, so that's good. Uh, there, that's good. And it, well, you would appreciate it. For years, it was for quite a while. It was the Marvel was the only one I didn't get anything from, which yeah. I always thought was fascinating. So they they've kind of changed that policy. Uh, test, which is really cool. That's good. That's great. Yeah. Because when I was oh, at yeah. CBR, we would go through these small periods where all of a sudden our editor would send us. They'd be like, "Oh, look." Marvel's yeah. decided to send the PDFs again, and so they, everyone would get all excited, and they, they'd pick a lot more books to review <laughs> that they could get early access to. And then, like, within two or three weeks, a month max, they're like, yeah, we're not getting them anymore. So there must have been some leak or something. I don't know. And so then that would be the end of that. It happened, like, three times when I was there. So, yep. But if it's gotten better, that's as good. A total, as a former critic, like, 
our work as critics is to analyze art, and it's really hard to write something coherent when you have no notice to turn it around. Yeah. And if the only thing they want from you is to say, like, thumb up or thumb down, which frankly doesn't even make for good, good promotional matter when you're trying to get a, gra- a trade paperback promoted, then I guess I can do that with no notice. But I don't even bother doing light reviews. Like, yeah. I write essays. And I can't do them if I don't have time with the with the with the with the piece to sit with it yeah. and like think about it and say something intelligent. I mean, the comics criticism thing is such a tough thing. I mean, God, you know, this is something I feel very strongly about, obviously, because I've walked both sides of it pretty hard. Um, it's just, you know, ninety nine percent of the people who are doing it are doing it out of pure love of comics. You know, if they're getting paid, they're getting paid so badly. Uh, you know, it's just not even funny. And so Mm -hmm. it's so for love. And yet at the same time, like, you know, we're such a niche market, like, you know, you know, people wonder why something like gem gets canceled. Well, because gem 23, which is the final arc of the stingers arc. And in which the first time in 23 issues, a character who's not in the inner circle finds out that Jerrica is Jem. So, like, there's relevant plot stuff in there, uh, including we blew up a ship, sort of. Um, I, one review that I've seen, that's, uh, that's not fair. There's more than one review, but only one review showing up on, like, an aggregate site, like Comic Book Roundup, um, where, you know, uh, where they're taking sites that actually do a grade as opposed to just, Oh yeah, this issue was great. Or this issue was, you know, not great or whatever. They're only ranking stuff that has an actual, you know, star amount attached to it. And so it's like, you know, I can't criticize the, the critic industry. Like they're not being given any incentive to, to review these things. They're doing it most of the time out of the goodness of their heart at the same time. Is it any surprise you have to relaunch books and have events and do all these things when you can't get anyone to pay attention to the finale, the finale of a book because it happens to be labeled gem number 23? Like, you know, what do you do? I did not know any of that. I mean, I, I'm behind on it, but I'm also a gem reader. So, like... I'm sorry ah. I just spoiled a bunch of shit for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, dude, I don't care about that. I'm so if you don't keep up with your comics and somebody spoils something for you, like Wednesday night, maybe keep your mouth shut. But by Thursday, like, come on. So no, this was totally oh, well, fine. Still, I'm sorry. But, I mean, I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, sorry. So that's, that's the last issue. Well, no, that's the last issue of the stingers arc. We've got the wrap up arc. Um, oh. So we're ending with number 26. It's not, it's sort of a soft ending though, because there's going to be something else, but it can't be announced yet. I think they're going to announce it in March. So there's going to be some really cool stuff down the line. I mean, honestly, some stuff I'm really excited by. But the truth is, it's, you know, it's not being canceled because, oh, we want to do this fun thing. We would just do this fun thing if the numbers were fine. But you've got the Mm -hmm. usual attrition. And then, you know, you look at everything that's happening and it's like, issue 23 nobody pays attention to it so like I I really it's we're sort of a snake that eats itself situation right it's like readers are sick of reboots and and crossovers and events and they are they're tired of it they don't want to see a bunch of number ones and rebrandings and things at the same time nobody like the market is just so small that unless you're Batman it's really hard to get attention on a book that's number 23 for example you know well, like, for me, like, if somebody, 
Yeah, I mean, if somebody, like, pitched me, I'm like, this is a really pivotal thing. And, like, again, that requires, like, promotional effort and time to yeah. do it. It so, like, does, which... Like, this is a big pivoting point. Then I'd be like, oh, okay, well, I'll make sure to, you know what I mean? Like, But which, as you know, that I, goes I, yeah, back to this thing about the industry not having... I mean, IDW, they just don't have that kind of bandwidth, you know, to... Yeah. Yeah. To be like, oh, yeah, let's make sure we try and get a story in about this or that or, you know, whatever. Like, they just don't have that, you know. Um, it's it's really, it's really a tough situation. I mean, I think on the one hand, comics are in really a, a, just a, a time of creative embarrassment of riches. The level of creators, the level of quality of books, the number of books, it's really incredible. At the same time, the industry is only so big, and we've got huge market saturation, not just from DC and Marvel, but, you know, from, from independents, too. Like, they're putting mm-hmm. out more books than ever, and, you know, that's why diversity and reach out to find new audiences and growing the business is so important, because if you're just preaching to the same audience that's always been there, that dollar doesn't get bigger just because there are that many more books. Instead, you end up with more books that can't meet the number that they're, quote, supposed to meet. And it's a, it's a tough situation all around. Preach. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're, we're, totally on, we're totally on board with this. For sure. I mean, it's a, it's a really tough thing because just like politics, well, not our current day politics, because our current day politics, there's definitely people to blame. So... Uh, not not anymore, but it used to yeah. be. I mean, you know, par- that's part of the reason politics gets so confusing, right? Is because there's no easy solution to this. You know, the readers aren't to blame. At the same time, I don't I don't really think the publishers are to blame either. They're going, hey, listen, people don't like to read number 23, so I guess we got to do something else, you know. And and creators aren't to like everyone's just trying to like make it work, but nobody knows quite why it doesn't work, and I certainly don't. God, I wish I did. Wouldn't that be great? Just be walking to the, the, the <laughs> God of all comics and be like, you guys, I've solved all the problems. <laughs> I know what we need to do, but I, I don't know. Nobody knows, I don't think. Brett and I have lots of opinions. So I'm keeping my mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> you guys yeah. definitely think there's someone to blame, huh? Uh, I think there's solutions. Have, I think there's easy solutions, but yeah, solutions, that's the whole yeah. other thing. All right. Well, I'd love to hear them uh, at a different time. <laughs> I, I have a weekly yeah, article no, that I mean, goes like, with it. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I have a article that not Definitely. only looks at here's issues, but actual solutions. Um, I, so, I need to read that. I will go looking <laughs> for it I'll for sure. I'll send it to All you. Right. No, I do a lot of like data look at, so there's mm. actually interesting things. Like I did last week, not to go to give you an idea uh, and to plug the, the thing. It's called. Uh, um, uh, the comics are all right is the weekly actual article. But like last week I went and actually plugged, uh, got the data from Comicron about mm-hmm. what the 2018 numbers were from Diamond versus the 2015 numbers versus mm-hmm. the 2014 because everyone thinks 2015 was good. And I did like the math of the breakdown of like what actually dipped and what didn't dip. And like the top mm-hmm. 300 saw a sales decrease, Trade Paperback saw a sales increase. The outside of the 300 saw the sales increase. Um, the top 300, I think, actually like went up like 100. Or uh, actually, the top 300 like went up like 180 copies, type of thing. So mm-hmm. if you if you actually look at the numbers of the average price of the top 300, that went down 11 cents, which comes out to be like nine million dollars. 
wow. so that's my nine million dollars outside of all the shops, and that's roughly like three to four thousand dollars per shop loss, just by decreasing the cover price by eleven cents. So of course wow. they're going to have uh, uh, problems because they're they're missing nine million dollars. So this week I'm doing a, the reverse of if the price stayed the same, what would have been the market in 2016? Um, so that, I'm a numbers geek, so I, I kind of interesting. Do a lot of that type of interesting. <laughs> Um, so we actually have a, a question from Twitter. Uh, uh, oh. Alex Snyder has asked, uh, how do you structure an overarching uh, story and the character arcs and subplots and stuff like that? Um, well, something most, – most of the stuff that I do these days, um, and I assume it's true for most writers. I mean, maybe there are geniuses who are just like, TBD, I'll figure it out, guys. And they're like, okay, go ahead. You're a genius. But I think most <laughs> writers – have to submit uh, at least some sort of um, arc pitch and preferably like breakdowns um, for how that looks. Uh, And to be honest, even the geniuses who probably don't do that or aren't asked to do that, honestly, you feel so much better as a writer once you do it. Because you're like, oh, good. I'm actually not going to have to kill myself over this. It's going to work out. So um, it's a really annoying thing that you're sort of annoyed that your editor needs and wants and is hassling you about. But once you do it, you're honestly so relieved. Um, So, you know, something like Hawkeye is really tricky because it has to fit together like a really, because it's a detective story, like it's a very tight puzzle piece fit. So I've had to break that down a lot more than I normally would. There's also, especially as we go into uh, the the back half, which is going to be issues six through twelve, there's, there's more sort of flashing back and forth and cutting back and forth in time, um, not just arbitrarily, always for a purpose because I hate arbitrary flashing back and forth in time. But um, so I, I had to I had to get pretty detailed in the breakdowns um, to make all that fit together so that our reveals sort of feel emotional and earned and we get our sort of natural cliffhangers in the right places and things. Um, something like gem that's more that that's not hanging on something like a detective plot. I'll still plot that out, but then you maybe get a and B stories like, you know, like here's the a story and here are the, where we hope these moments are going to land for the issues. And then we'll have, sort of B and C plots that are, you know, maybe this romantic relationship or that romantic relationship or, you know, this character development thing here, you know, we'll be sort of seeding that in the background. Um, The Stingers arc, you know, I feel very bad because Meredith McLaren is such an incredible artist and, you know, she really got the short end of the stick because we just, to me, that arc, I'm still really happy about it and proud of it, of the work we're doing, the stories we're telling, but I just feel like we got really overwhelmed with characters. You know, we hadn't quite written the misfits out and segued them into their new series yet. So they were still there. And then we added four characters in the stingers. Plus we added regime because we sent Shayna off to um, Milan and, you know, it was just so mm-hmm. many, so many balls to juggle. And I was, very unhappy with how it came together a couple times. And then we had to change things a little bit because we knew the series was ending at 26, the ongoing series I'm using air quotes here um, was ending at 26. So I had to sort of change things a little bit to get everyone in the same place and where we wanted to leave it for 26. So 
you know, there's a little bit of rejiggering there, but you know, hopefully if you've built everything the right way, like it can handle some of those moves without everything sort of falling apart on you. I, by the way, love the singers and love what you've done with them. And Thank you. They're the really fun. Character snippers. Yes. <laughs> I mean, what fun cast of characters that developed there. Like they're, uh, the, the, um, my brain fell out my ear. What's his name? The, the the male lead singer. Oh, Riot. Riot. Like bringing like Riot into this like hyper, like female led space and having him basically just be a continuation of that very female energy, but like still, you know, like being a guy um, is a lot, a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. He's very, he's very fun. I mean, he would be, he, he Riot and sort of the gem Jerrica Riot Rio thing, not the final resolution of it because we're still going to be dealing with that in the next arc. But you know the way we've seeded this, that would be a, an area that I wish we'd had a little more time on, uh, just because it's so fun and it's so cool and it plays so much into what we've been building to from issue one, which is Jerrica sort of having a break with the gem identity and having sort of a crisis of an identity crisis of her own, not to steal from a very famous publisher. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, uh, so that's really fun stuff to me uh, that, that I enjoy a lot. And, but, you know, like poor Minx and Rapture who I love, but they've basically sort of gotten, <laughs> I mean, this is the most fun thing to write. So I, you know, what are you going to do? But they're just sort of like, the bullies of the stingers and they get to tell the jokes and hang out and be hilarious. And I love that, but (laughs) you know, for people who, Oh, Rapture is my favorite character or something like, you know, she hasn't had anything meaty to do. And that's just a function of so many characters on so little page time, you know? Yeah. But I definitely feel like at least with Riot, like we have a definite sense of like his voice. I feel like I can even hear the accent. Like, okay, we have a picture of this character. (laughs) Um, yeah. And all and all all of the singers just they're just clearly trouble in the most entertaining way. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely going to be getting in trouble in the next arc too. They're they're a lot of fun. Um Yeah. It's just a tricky balance, you know. I mean it's the same thing that used to happen to me on A Force too, where from the day you start writing it, all you hear are from people who are like, Oh, can so and so be in it? Can so and so be in it? You know, like it was stingers from day one, like, Oh, when are the stingers mm-hmm. gonna show up and all this stuff? And it's like you guys, you got to slow down or it just topples over on itself. And I think we did a pretty good job with it, but you know, there's always room for improvement. I like the character profiles you included in the back. I oh, know everybody's hobbies. That's so I, great. Like, that's such a thing. Like if you were, if you got like the toys when you were a kid, like the toys always had like profile cards on the back, whether it was G.I. Yeah. Joe or Jim. Everything has a character profile card on the back, and I was all about those. So I kind of view the um, the character profiles in the back of the comics that you were doing as a continuation of that thing. Yeah, you know, I never thought of that before, but my obsession and love of things like that probably comes from, um, you know, when I discovered X-Men comics when I was 15 years old was through the X-Men animated series and then discovering the comics and everything, and right around that time that um, Jim Lee X-Men trading card series came out. And that yes. was my first, that was yes. my first experience with trading cards of any kind. Cause I didn't, I didn't do baseball cards or anything like that. My brothers did, but I didn't. And so 
that, I mean, I was so obsessed with that at the age of 15 and 16. I can't even tell you. And I still have my cards today, by the way. They're in a little plastic bag in my office. Um, and I loved those things, like the power, you know, the power charts on the back and everything. And, yeah. You know. Yeah. Yep. God, I, I went know, for. I was like, I think we're kind of the same age. I was like, I'm far too old to be this entertained by collector's cards. <laughs> they were like, they were like, and they weren't, they weren't mine. They're my brother's, but I just would steal them and like read them all. My brother's. Like, oh, they were, they were definitely mine. I, I took possession <laughs> of those for sure. You know, my brother and I used to play war with them. It would never work today because there's so many power sets we, we wouldn't agree on. But you know, we were very in sync when I was. 15 and he was 12 or however old he was um we were very in sync about the characters we liked and thought were good versus the characters we didn't like and thought were lame or whatever and uh so we would play war with them as if they were like a deck of cards and it was it was so fun like on long car rides and stuff it was great i might i might have been searching my parents uh house over thanksgiving to try to find mine They have some really great, like, prime perfect sets on eBay. I've looked because I thought I lost mine, and I thought about replacing them, but I found them when I moved. So uh, I might have to go look that up. Yeah, I was on a search <laughs> because there were so many different sets at that time, too, and all those card series, and I know I collected them all. I just have <laughs> let, me no tell you, let me tell you the worst thing about that card set, okay? The worst thing is that Rogue is listed as having the lowest intelligence of every single one of those cards. She's the only thing that's on par with her intelligence wise. And those cards are the war wolves. And I demand a reprint. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. She's like, I think it's like bias. It's like an anti-Southern bias again. Probably, (laughs) probably it's, you know what it is? It's because she was so powerful in every other way. They had to find a way to knock her down. Right. Yeah, they can't have a woman be too powerful. <laughs> I'm a big road fan, if you can't tell. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now you go find a set somewhere on the BCB. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. This is fantastic. I, I hope we can have you on again for another big launch sometime soon. And yeah, thanks for having me on. And if you, if we can ever figure out how to get Jordy and Leo on, I'd love have them talk to you guys about how brilliant they are. Yeah, maybe when the trade paperback is going to come out, we could have them join us. Yes. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. We'll try and get it organized. I don't know. I don't know if Leo does a podcast in English. Um, His, his English is very good in email, but you know, uh, since I can't even ever say anyone, since I can't even say anyone's name correctly on a podcast (laughs) and English is my first language. I, I can imagine it might be a problem, but certainly we could get Jordy on board if we could figure out the scheduling. I'm totally cool. Yeah, we absolutely should do it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Well, before, before you go, let us, let our listeners know where we can find you on the internet. For example, okay. Tumblr. <laughs> Tumblr, which I'm terrible at, is uh, 1979semifinalist.tumblr.com. And uh, uh, Twitter is where I am most of the time. That's at 79semifinalist. And uh, my website is also 1979semifinalist.com. Fantastic. Consistent branding. Yeah. Thanks so, so- much. Thank you for coming on. Thank Appreciate you. it. And we'll definitely have you yeah. back. Have a good week, guys. Yep, you too. You too. Bye. Bye. Yep.
All right, that wraps up another awesome guest. And yes, uh, this Wednesday, Hawkeye number three is coming out. And if you haven't read issues one and two, go do it because they're awesome. And then also, Gem of the Misfits mm-hmm. or Misfits uh, number was it two Jam or the three? Or Jam and Hologram, the sorry. The new, yes, the, the Misfits series two. Yes. Yeah. Also sorry. coming out. I butchered that one. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So for those who have listened that came in late, want to listen again, want to share it, uh, whatever, it will be up on – the show will be up on – uh, not YouTube um, – on iTunes and Stitcher probably in like a couple hours. And then it will also be on um, SoundCloud tomorrow and posted to our site. So you can go and download it, listen to the uh, listen to it on the go, and uh, share it with your friends. And if you go to iTunes or SoundCloud or any of those sites, please, please uh, subscribe to the podcast so you can then get automatic notifications as to the next one. And it kind of helps us with rankings and stuff like that. So do us a favor, and then you know, of course, rate us at five or whatever our scale is. Um, so all the stars. Yes, all the stars, all of them. Uh, so before we wrap up and I tell people where they can find us, where can they find you? I am on Twitter all the time at E-L-A-N-A <laughs> underscore Brooklyn. Um, I'm also on Tumblr, far less, but I am still on Tumblr at Elana Brooklyn without the space in between. And I'm writing at graphicpolicy.com. Yes. So uh, go follow all that and uh, follow Alana, and then you can catch us every single day, the whole Graphic Policy team at graphicpolicy.com. You can follow us on Twitter, uh, Facebook, YouTube, Tumblr, uh, everything at Graphic Policy. We keep it nice and consistent. So if there's a social network, we're probably on it at Graphic Policy. So go follow us and, and you know get your comic news, reviews, interviews, all that fun stuff every single day. So, as always, thank you for listening so much. And until next time, I'm Brett. I'm Ivana. Keep it geeky. <laughs>